listening to Revelations Radio News with Andrew Hoffman and Tim Kilkenny, a listener-supported podcast located at revelationsradionews.com. Podcasting to you from a slightly moist Meadowdale, Washington, where I am sitting not with my regular co-host, but with another co-host who is actually a good friend of mine as well, Mr. Tom Bionic. What up, yo? I am here in sunny Tennessee. T for Texas. No, T for Tennessee. <laughs> awesome. So. There are many people who listen to this show who have listened since the beginning. We started this show in 2011. Can you believe wow. that? That's yeah. wild. And we've never Dang. missed a never missed a single podcast. Ne- never missed a week. That's really so, amazing. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. Totally kidding. Totally kidding, dude. We we missed entire years. But we yeah, we've been going for you know since <laughs> 2011. So it, it's uh. It's been it's been interesting. But anyway, back then when we were doing the podcast, there was another podcast on that was like the Joe Rogan of podcasts or the uh, the one of the bigger podcasts, uh, formative podcasts, or at least for the Christian Christian conspiracy realm, um, which was Future Quake. And Future Quake, of course, was uh, hosted by Dr. Future. And of course, you were Mr. Tom Bionic. Yep, I was there trying to. Trying to prop him, <laughs> trying to desperately to prop him up. Yeah, kidding. Like that's that's I like obviously that's a joke, but it yeah. sounds funny to say, you know, like yeah. No, anybody who listened to the podcast got that joke, but yeah, not necessarily were you propping him up, but you were along for the ride. Yeah, yeah. There was a there was a buggy going downhill at like ninety miles an hour, and I was sitting in the back, <laughs> eyes as big as quarters, going, "Where's this going?" <laughs> What, in first, first off, I will put that in the show notes, links to Future Quake uh, website, and uh, all the podcasts are still there. It, I think a lot of them would probably still hold up. I remember he talked to, uh, uh, gosh, he talked to Alex Jones. Mm-hmm. He talked to Jesse Ventura. Yep. You know, you, you guys both spoke to so many different people, and uh, I think that was uh, pretty, pretty yeah. cool, pretty cool time. Yeah, it was a very – it's interesting. It was – for me, it was like a very formative uh, – it was like going and getting a master's degree in the way that the world works in some sense. I don't know quite how to describe it, but uh, alternate reality engineering or something. I don't know. I don't know what exactly. My We were talking a little bit about this just a minute ago, but, you know, like – I'm not somebody who stays necessarily on top of all the latest and greatest in conspiracy theories. Sure. Uh, I'm, I'm somebody who comes into it because they, they see truth in something, you know, like I said, the ward ward C Boston's letter about the USS Liberty incident or Alex's Jones's documentary, which I can't recommend enough about uh, dark secrets at Bohemian Grove, a place that I've, I was invited to at one point and even visited the front doors of, you know, and it was like, this really exists. Whoa. Wow. Uh, I think that was, 
Dr. Future and I recorded an episode, I think, where we, where I, so I went to go visit some friends and I was telling them like, hey, this really exists. And they only lived like 20 minutes down the road. And so finally I convinced them to drive down there and see it. And it was like during the festival and we got stopped, uh, stopped by the Sonoma County sheriffs at the door and some dude wearing a weird purple jumpsuit with a with an owl on the on the the chest and i was like whoa okay (laughs) all all theoretical till you're laying your eyes on it yeah it's another level when you turn when you when you when you drive over the bridge take a left on moscow road drive uh, less than a quarter of a mile and all of a sudden it's like what are all these cars doing here why does that guy have an earpiece in his ear and like what on earth is happening here oh <laughs> it's just like the video yep yeah well all right just like what richard nixon described uh-huh yeah <laughs> so anyway yeah you love truth and uh yeah i think that's it that's all we, the intro you need you love truth and you had a cool uh podcast that you co-hosted with uh, dr future called future quake so uh, we've we've kept in touch and uh, you actually you know reached out recently. We got back in touch and um, this week just for the listeners who are out there, I, the the plan was Andrew was going to have somebody on the podcast yesterday to talk about uh, health issues and then we weren't going to be able to get to the news stuff. So here we were, me and Mr. Tom Bionic, we're going to get to the news. However, this person stood us up, so we're going to get two days in a row of news. Both you're gonna be, everybody will get overloaded with me, but both of my co-hosts a little little smarter than me, a little more well put together, and uh, hopefully everybody out there will find it to be enlightening. So, uh, without further ado, let's head in which direction that we were just talking about. Do you want to go? Well, um, you know that's a tough one. Like my my podcasting skills are rather rusty. Sure. Uh, let me so. Maybe I'll monologue here and, and, and we can talk a little bit and I'll okay. read from a book. I got a couple of quotes that I thought were interesting. And but and or or you know, maybe you'll say this dude's so off his rocker, we're just gonna <laughs> call this and dunk on Sanjay Gupta for an hour, you know. They, they they put up with me. They put up with me, so I'm sure that yeah. won't happen. We'll see. We'll see. But like as a you know to just to as a frame of reference the person who's speaking to you and coming through the speakers there dear listener sees himself primarily as as a a christian and a son of god and uh you know views the world through the grid of a somewhat classical christian framework albeit you know interspersed with the matrix of kind of conspiracy stuff and what's going on and it like watching all this stuff i've noticed that we've kind of become so tribalized and like it's we're young against old liberals versus conservatives fractionated identities against other fraction identities and like covid has continued this and accelerated and it's just totally atomized it you know the church that i go to i don't know that many people there we switched and have been going there for six months and then covid happened and we stopped you know people stopped going for a while and and all of that has just made people just totally tribalized and atomized and I've noticed that like people need to be reminded that you know like Matthew 544 it's like in the say it's in in the in the uh, the 
Sermon on the Mount, it's placed in a place. So it's like the kind of the main point. It's like, oh, we're, we're kind of wrapping this all up here for this part. I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you and pray for them, which despitefully use you and persecute you. Um, there was a it wasn't that recently, but there was this this guy. So I I, I work at a place. Uh, where I'm able to interact with people who are having hard times. And this guy, he was uh, he was this homosexual man. He was telling me the story of how good his life was. Uh, he had a great job. He had a great relationship with his partner and all of this stuff. And then his addiction to meth just totally, totally destroyed him. And I was listening to him, and and I said, you know, we're, we're talking – and I said, man, that sounds really, really horrible. And he says, are you judging me? How dare you judge me? Like, <laughs> and he just he gets totally, totally indignant. And I said, dude, I'm totally judging you. Of course I'm judging you. That doesn't mean I don't care about you at a deeply, deeply human level. And I want nothing but the best for you. Mm -hmm. And like when you combine those two but when you combine Matthew 44, you know, the first thing is like, well, does that mean we need to be like a doormat? It's like, no, we can disagree with the people next to us, but we can still love them and we can still uh, pray for those who despitefully use us and persecute us. And I think that that's something that's just really missing from our society at large, you know, sure. largely because we haven't like haven't seen it, you know, um, and and. And uh, it's not a, uh, not a muscle that we work out much. It's, you know, no. you, in weightlifting, you don't if you don't use it, you lose it. And it's not a muscle that we use a lot. The old love, the old love your neighbor muscles. Yeah. Love your enemy, yeah. love your enemies muscle. Yeah. While I was preparing for this podcast, I was reading this book, Jesus, Friend to Terrorists. It's my of favorite. Course. It's my yeah, favorite. One of my favorite books. Who sent uh, that to you? What? Who sent that book to you? Uh, I, well, I think I bought it. This this no. copy. But maybe, <laughs> did you send me the original copy? I think so. I oh, sent you that years and years ago. I bought you a copy yeah. of that book. So you still well, got it. Well, well, no, this is about the 150th copy. Okay. I give it away all the time. Yeah. But it is a pretty darn good book. And I was looking at it, you know, and so the background of the book is the author is trying to, he's kind of like speaking past, as you know, he's speaking past the normal people that are kind of in front of him in church pews trying to speak directly to terrorists. Hence the name, Jesus, friend to terrorists. And he writes this, I do not hold it against you, my terrorist friends, that you do not entrust your life to God or to his messenger, Jesus. I realize that it might may be difficult for you to believe in a supernatural being. The story is told of a Chinese gentleman who sat in his home quietly sipping his tea. A knock came at the door. It was the police. You are sentenced to 20. 20 lashes. Quick, bury yourself and stretch out to receive them. He did so, and the police left. Then he returned to the table to finish his tea. He knew he lived under a dictatorship where this was his common. This was a common occurrence. The next day, as he sat at the breakfast table, against someone knocked. Again, someone knocked at the door. Again, it was the police. You are sentenced to 20 lashes. Without uttering a word, he bared himself and received them. On the third day, the ritual was repeated. On the fourth day, again, there was a knock at the door as he drank his tea. Bearing himself, he called, enter. Instead of the police, 
Beloved friends walked in. Have you come also? Have you also come to beat me? He asked, unable to believe that people could come to his house with good intentions. So many have lied to us and led us astray that we have come to the point where we can't even believe God. Our total capacity to believe has been thwarted. God does not complain. He is not the one who is not believed, who is not believed. We no longer believe in the stranger who knocks at our door. Nazi terrorists were lied to by Hitler, who had promised a thousand year Aryan empire. Communist leaders promised an earthly paradise, another lie. So many comrades of the terrorists proved to be agents of the secret police infiltrated into their ranks. Even parents, children, and spouses proved to be denouncers. For terrorists, it is simply difficult to believe unknown persons. No wonder they cannot believe God. And then he goes on here in another chapter and says, man needs a very few basic things to be fully satisfied. Food, clothing, housing, health, some possibility of intellectual preoccupations, little pleasures, and a sexual partner. Yet there have been millionaires with access to all these things who committed suicide. The cause, deep depression. What depressed them since they had everything a person could need or desire? The soul that inhabits the earthly body. On the other hand, when I was in jail with men in prison for their convictions, I saw them sing though they were beaten, hungry and trembling with cold, separated from all they loved with no books. What caused them to be happy? Their soul. The amazing thing is that the soul can be independent of external circumstances and events. It can remain unaffected by death, which is an advancement to a higher sphere where earthly quarrels seem like child's play. <clears throat> and so in the midst of all of this stuff, like it kind of has occurred to me lately that we need to be sure to like love our enemies, to do good, to persecute. Do good to them that hate you and pray for them. Uh, that's not a that's not something where you're 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 like just sort of bowing down to them. It's like, well, well you know, they said to do this. I'm going to do whatever I want. No, it's not necessarily that. But it is. But it is saying, hey, I, you know, I identify with you and we have a difference of opinion here, maybe several differences of opinion. Um, but we can still. Uh, we can still talk and get along and live peaceably beside each other. <clears throat> I just don't like it. Just it just it just shocks me that uh, we see so little of that these days. And I'm and I'm including myself in that. I'm it's not like I'm, you know, floating up here on some some pedestal. It's like me, me and me and Radu Val Valentin here. We're all we've got it all worked out, and everybody else is blowing it. But I just. It just it has occurred to me lately that that is something that's important for everybody to hear. And so that's what I got. That's awesome, man. I think the last 18 months and, and really the groundwork has been laid long before this. But the last 18 months, it, it kind of kicked into overdrive where they're just everybody's getting just completely, you know, it's been tribal mentality, us versus them on several different levels. Mm -hmm. uh, whether it's, you know, you hear it a lot about, oh, there's a labor shortage. Well, a bunch of people don't want to work, so they're lazy. So we're the workers. Yeah. They, you know, they, they should work or mm -hmm. the vaccinated versus the unvaccinated. They should get their vax or they're mm -hmm. crazy for getting the vax or, mm -hmm. you know, there's just the whole Black Lives Matter thing and that whole yeah. up, 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 uprising. And it's just further mm -hmm. splintering of everything. And uh, yeah, a co, it's hard. a co worker of mine, Travis, 
um, is not was not politically not very a was very apolitical up until the last few months. And his daughter came home who's six and was crying. And he said, you know, like what on what's going on? And he she said, I was told I was told the reason and all of the injustices that have happened in the world were specifically my fault. Hmm. That's good. I, so, so I assume she's white. Yes. And I said, oh, man, that's horrible. And he says, yeah, I know. Like, I don't even know where this comes from. And uh, he's, <laughs> Travis is a great guy. He's very, very working class, mm-hmm. blue collar, super hardworking guy. And so um, we talked we talked a good bit. And uh, but it, it's it's this radical tribalism that is just crazy. And I think that the antidote is, you know, as hard as it is, as it is man, just like go to that person and see, you know, like, hey, we totally disagree here. That doesn't mean I don't care about you deeply as a person. And so maybe that's a good start. Maybe Absolutely. maybe we'll we'll win if we do that. Yeah. If you turn your enemies into your friends, you obliterate them. Yeah, that's true. That's very true. And we're living in a time where it, it you know it's more likely that people turn their enemies in into the authorities. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's that's what they're trying. That's what they're trying to do with this whole, uh, you know, you hear they're they're going to classify the uh, the parent teacher conferences, the people coming to those as terrorists because they're terrorizing the conferences. Yeah. 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 I, did that. I, I thought that they're, they're trying to get the FBI to turn to, to I mean, they're, they're like not only have they bred this and kind of brought it out in the open, but they're actually trying to encourage more of it. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Which is uh, maybe maybe who knows maybe there's a maybe there's an episode or two or maybe I'll start writing and putting some of this in action uh, where it's like hey you win when you're rejected for Jesus's name and you love your enemies and this is how you do it I don't yeah. have any answers um, like I've I've hit I just hit the wall so that's all I got. Good podcast done. <laughs> I don't have any more after that, but maybe I'll sit down and maybe I'll sit down and think about that and 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 put pen to paper or something. I don't know. We'll see. Well, it it definitely wouldn't hurt anybody. And it, you know, the funny thing about when you love other people, it actually helps you as well. It's not a reason to do it, but it you know, in the end, it ends up helping you even probably even more, really, because mm-hmm. you're 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 kind of putting your money where your mouth is, so to speak. So. Mm-hmm. Yep. Word up. Well, all right. I'm, gl- so I'm glad you brought that. Matthew 544. Go ahead. I was just saying, I'm glad you bought the, brought that. Matthew 544 is something we should all remember. To love your neighbors, love, love your enemies, not just your neighbors. So, so I'm going to ask, I have to ask this, and this might spark further debate, but uh, that means we got to love what what Bill Gates, Bill, Klaus Schwab. We got to love these guys. Like how, mm-hmm. <laughs> how, how do we love them? Unfortunately, yes. However, <laughs> I don't know how that works out, right? Because like they want they they you know they're fairly clear about <laughs> the sort of our mass destruction, right? Right. But from a from a kind of a heavenly view, if you will, uh, an elevated spiritual view. I mean, unless it turns out to be like they're actually like like divine beings incarnate, and they're just wearing like. Like some sort of weird 
you know, it's like they reach back and it's like there's a zipper in their back neck, you know, and they pull it over. It's like, oh, it turns out your ass is L. You know, it's like, oh, shoot. No wonder. From the, I guess from the, the time I got in the room with you, it smelled fire and brimstone. That's, from the guy who didn't want to get too conspiratorial, straight to zippers in the back and, and then uh, it's, a, it's a demon underneath. <laughs> Yeah, man. Yeah. That's awesome. You know who might have a zipper in the back? Sanjay Gupta. Oh, boy. There we go. I have thoughts. I wanted to hear what you wanted to say about because you brought up Sanjay. I said, uh, 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 save it for the podcast. Let's let's get let's get going. Oh, my gosh. I can't. This whole story to me is 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 just so emblematic well, let me let me actually I'm like, hey, go ahead and talk. No, no, no I'm gonna jump in. This is how I run the podcast. I apologize, but let me let me let me at least jump in here and say. So for those who don't know, on Joe Rogan two days ago, Alex Berenson was on. Yeah. Alex Ber- Alex Berenson is the former New York dis- disgraced in quotes New York Times reporter who is writing the truth about what's going on with all these vaccines and how ineffective they are and all these side effects that are happening. He's getting kicked off of Twitter. He's getting censored. Mm-hmm. So I hear about him being on Joe Rogan from, I believe it was my wife. She was, me and a friend were talking and my wife was like, yeah, I was listening to that too. You know, Alex was on uh, Joe Rogan. I was like, what? And I didn't miss this. And then my friend said, yeah. And then they had some other terrible guy on today that was just like complete opposite of that. And I was like, hmm, who is this? So I quick, you know, look up, look at, look it up. And I turn, I said, oh man, this was, this was a, a Spotify play. Spotify said, yeah, sure, bring on this Alex Berenson guy. But then you're going to have Sanjay Gupta on the following day. And it seems like Sanjay Gupta's crew is the one who called Joe about being on the show. And so, yeah, go ahead. Where where were you going to head? Well, just to me, it's so fascinating to see this whole whole thing. And and it's it's great that you bring up the aspect of Alex Berenson. CNN. So as we all know, Joe Rogan is probably by by audience count, probably the most influential interviewer in history. Yeah. He he downloads, you know, something like half a billion podcasts a month or something. That's that's like it's not it's 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 almost up there with RRN, but not. (laughs) (laughs) It's close. But, you know, so anyway, close. Yeah, it's very he's a very influential person. And part of that is because I think that his audience sees him as an honest broker. He'll go and he'll have a conversation with anybody. Alex Berenson, Sanjay Gupta, and he, he will confront people directly. Right. He's not afraid of conflict. I mean, right. for gracious sakes, he's uh, he's a two black belt, three black belt martial artist. You know, it's like. Like getting in arguments and scraps is not very big deal. In fact, it's probably a good day if he walks away from a scrap without black eyes. You know, it's like yeah, that's pretty good. And so he goes and he kind of confronts Sanjay Gupta directly for CNN, like out and out lying about him taking horse dewormer for uh, that is ivermectin for right. um, COVID nineteen, right? And he like he's got the guy in the studio and he says, how does it make you feel that 
your organization. I got the clips. I think this is this is okay. Rogan a- asking Gupta straight up. So I think yeah. this will give us some context. Yeah, Horse dormers, not a flattering thing. I get it's that. It's a lie. It's a lie on a news network, it, it, and it's a lie that's a willing. That's that's a lie that they're conscious of. It's not a mistake. Yeah, they're unfavorably framing it as veterinary medicine. Well, the FDA put this thing out. You saw that. Did you see the thing that the FDA put out? What did the FDA put out? <laughs> it was a tweet, and it was snarky. I admit it. They said, you are not a horse, you are not a cow, stop taking this stuff, or something like that. Why would you say that when you're talking about a drug that's been given out to billions and billions of people, a drug that was responsible for one of the inventors of it making the Nobel the Prize Nobel Prize in 2015? 15, yeah. Yeah, no, a, a drug well, that has been shown to stop viral replication in vitro. You know that, right? I, I, Why would they lie? And say that's horse dewormer. I can afford people medicine, motherfucker. <laughs> this is ridiculous. It's just a lie. I don't think anyone is thick. But don't you think that a lie like that is dangerous on a news network when you know that they know they're lying? You know that they know that I took medicine. Like, here it is. This is ivermectin. You got this it with right you. here. Somebody gave it to me. All right, hang on. I, I, do you, the, the thing is, we're, we're we're like going so fast. Like I feel like I'm missing. I'm missing. Do you think I want that to, that's a problem that your news network not, lies? Well, I don't. I don't. Dude, what did they say? They lied what and they said say? I was taking horse dewormer. First of all, it was prescribed to me by a doctor. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Along they with shouldn't have said a it was bunch of if, other if medications. Was, if you got a human pill because there were people that were taking it the veterinary medication and i you're not obviously you got it from a doctor so that it shouldn't be called that ivermectin can be a very effective medication for parasitic disease and as you say it's probably you know i think what a quarter billion people have taken it around the world more, i get that way more so way but, more can, billions can, of people have taken it can i just come back to the one i want to talk about you have before we get to that does it bother you that the news network you work for out and out lied well, just outright lied about me taking horse dewormer they, they they shouldn't have said that why did they do that i don't know you didn't ask i you didn't think that was your, did, you're the medical guy over there i didn't ask i should have asked before but they did it the with such glee no yes, joke. i watched <laughs> holy holy pastrami sandwich man yeah that was yeah. uh i i you know i saw that i saw that earlier and then uh, i watched it a little bit again this just now and it's like whoa <laughs> well, and, and who we're talking to and you could just see it written all over his face this is sanjay i'm gonna lie to your face cfr member yeah. gupta mm-hmm. obama this is his cfr member he selected <laughs> to be the surgeon general i mean this is uh i don't know if he actually ended up being that but he you know it's, it's it's interesting when he get, you get confronted by Joe Rogan because there are many things that Joe Rogan is, and one of them is he's pretty humble, and yeah. he, he asks questions. He wants real answers, and he's real. You can tell yeah. that by watching somebody, and you can't smear Joe Rogan effectively to anyone who ever listens to his podcast because he just keeps it real. And so that's why he's going in. He's like, and, and the Gupta doesn't know what to do. He's like, oh, God, I'm not going to be able to, to, to lie through this. I'm not going to be able to – to to be able to to turn this the way I want it to to be. Yeah, yeah. So I, like I, a coward, he then goes on Don Lemon afterwards. But I know it's in, in large part a tongue in cheek interview, you know, because it's Joe Rogan and there's a lot of you're jockeying back and forth. Because it's Joe Rogan who talks to more people than yeah. you do. 
Don Lamont, the overnight legend, CNN ratings in the tank. It's just a tongue-in-cheek interview because he's an MMA guy and we're elitist people in New York City who have special suits and titles on CNN. Exactly. And that's the thing that sort of struck me, right? So Sanjay Gupta is a neuroscientist, I believe. I think that's his neurosurgeon. Neurosurgeon. That's his academic background. And he's on CNN. And, at, you know, like this major he's a member of the CFR member of the CFR, you know, well, you don't have to. That's not necessarily a credential of being intelligent, but okay. um, <laughs> like he's put forward as this person who is the ultimate the penultimate. Bro, he's like, a doctor. You have to listen. Yes. He's a neuroscientist. He is so smart. Like, <laughs> don't like he just listen to him. You know, listen when they say him. when they say it's not brain surgery. This is literally the brain surgeon. Yeah. And he's getting dunked on by a guy who barely graduated high school. Amen. Yeah, absolutely. Just absolutely obliterated. Well, and you played the clip. It's just like, whoa. And so let's hear his response on Don Lamont again. But I know it's it's a tongue in cheek interview, you know, because it's Joe Rogan and there's a lot you're jockeying back and forth. But. He he did say something about ivermectin that I think wasn't actually correct about CNN and lying. Okay, ivermectin is a drug that is commonly used as a horse dewormer. So it is not a lie to say that the drug is used as a horse dewormer. I, I, I think that's important, and it is not approved for COVID. Correct. That's right. That's correct. It it, it is not approved for COVID, and. You're right. I mean, the FDA even put out a, a statement saying, you know, basically reminding people it was a strange sort of message from the FDA, but that said, you're not a horse, you're not a cow, stop taking this stuff is essentially what they said, referring to ivermectin. Now, I think what, what Joe's point that is- It's been approved that for humans, and, but not necessarily for COVID, right? Yeah. That's correct. It's been, it's been used for a parasitic disease for something, it's called river blindness, and it's been very effective for that. But, you know, just because it works for one thing doesn't mean it works for something else. And, you know, there's still a few ongoing clinical trials around ivermectin. But for the most part, if you look at the data, there's no evidence that it that it really works here. When Joe got sick, he took ivermectin. He also took monoclonal antibodies, Mm -hmm. which is, you know, an infusion of these antibodies. So he took both those things. It's, it's, It's very likely it was the monoclonal antibodies that made him feel better so quickly. The guy comes on the show, gets dunked on, and then does damage control as soon as he gets back to Fox News. Yeah, or CNN. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It gets back to CNN. Same, 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 same. Yeah, they're, they're all pretty much the same. One's a little redder, <laughs> one's a little bluer. No. Yeah. No. Uh, it. I. I think that it really juxtaposes kind of all of the things that we've. All of the things that we've experienced uh, collectively uh, as sort of Western Westerners here, uh, you've got the alt- penultimate in, hey, this guy is a this guy is the person you listen to. This is the expert. And you you you, you listen to him. You, he's the guy. And yep. then and then he just gets absolutely hammered by this guy who is. It's like, well, you know, I didn't graduate high school. Uh, my 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 background includes being a comedian. It, 
being a commentator. I have three black belts in uh, one in one in Brazilian Jiu Jitsu, one in Tenth Planet Jiu Jitsu, and I think one in Taekwondo. Uh, oh yeah, and I just talk to people and I ask questions and I'm curious. Yeah, and I'm just, humble. And, and yeah, and he just he completely obliterates this guy. And so when after all of this drubbing has happened, uh, it seems that Sanjay has gone back to trying to sort of use his natural use use his sort of training in media to sort of sit above everything. You know, um, reading the article here. Here, why sat why Joe Rogan and I sat down and talked for more than three hours, right? He says there, I don't think I've ever had a conversation that long with anyone. Hmm. Seriously, think about that. That's I find that's a very strange thing for somebody who's supposed to be like doing brain surgery and having intelligent conversations to say that that I don't know where to start with that one, but it gets it gets sort of even weirder, you know. He he writes that. Many friends caution me against accepting Joe's invitation. There's little room for reasonable conversations anymore. And one person told me, and he is a brawler and doesn't play fair. Another word warned. Um, and then the coup de gras. In fact, when I told Joe early in the podcast that I didn't agree with his apparent views on vaccines against COVID, ivermectin and many things in between, part of me thought the MMA former Taekwondo champion might hurdle himself across the table and throttle my neck. <laughs> but instead we smiled and off we went and so later on down in the article you know here he is here is mr gupta like trying to establish this it's like he's what he's saying by this is really like i am actually doing some kind of research here into these other other life forms right and he writes here in this article it wasn't what joe thinks that i most interested me it was how he thinks that is what i really wanted to understand it's like oh so you're kind of like i get it now like sanjay went on there and he's just doing some kind of opposition research against these people you know maybe joe is kind of a nice guy you know but you know (laughs) really he's he's not a neurosurgeon and I was like, oh, I get it now. Oh. And so, but the it's like, it's too late, man. I'm sorry, Mr. Gupta. If I was your media guy, I'd say, uh, you've already been dunked on. You can't, you can't say that I was tired. Well, it's, or, it's funny that he comes right after Alex Berenson because during the Alex Berenson uh, interview, which was the day before I listened to a little bit earlier uh, today, I listened to it, but it was the day before Gupta came on. Gupta starts talking to, or uh, Berenson starts talking about, he's like, look, I went to Yale. I ended up working for the New York times. I'm like one of the, you know, I'm like one of the blue bloods, the smart people. Right. He says, mm-hmm. but he said, but all of us types, we all got in line and, you know, most of them all got in line and got the vaccine. And we start, and it's become this class thing where everyone who has the vaccine talks down on people who don't have it. And so this kind of East Coast class thing, he, I'm probably going to butcher this, but I don't have a clip. I should. Mm-hmm. But he starts talking about how if he did, you know, he didn't get it. And all the other people spoke down on the dumb, you know, you must not be able to put two sentences together. Why wouldn't you get the vaccine, of course? And he goes, well, now we have a problem. It's eight months later, and it looks like all the dum-dums were right. (laughs) You shouldn't get it. It causes problems. And now people like me, and he says, I didn't get it, but I am, you know, it is my group. They hate me so much 
mm-hmm. for telling the truth about the vaccines and not being a part of the club. I get censored everywhere I go, but, you know, it's looking more and more like the the uh, the kind of unwashed masses were right in not getting it because it doesn't seem to be helpful and effective and it presents a lot of of, of complications. Yeah, yeah, it's in. Yeah, it's uh, I, I can I can I have a lot of anecdotal evidence that I, I don't know that I can share uh, that would say that the vaccine is useless in yeah. terms of infection rates. Sure. Um, yeah. Uh, well, it's not, it's not anecdotal. It's actually it's actually hard evidence. But uh, you can't I share because your your position at work and yeah. things like that. So yeah. no, I I, yeah. I get it. Yeah, uh, but what I can say, utterly based on based on based on our population size, I can I can say firmly, utterly useless uh, for the for for that for that group. Utterly, <laughs> utterly useless. And so the the other thing that's interesting is if you go around and ask people, you know, like, OK, and you say like, OK, like, so I'm unvaccinated. Mm-hmm. Why exactly should I get vaccinated? Because, you be, but dude, you don't know. It's I don't. Sa- safe and effective, bro. Safe and effective. What? OK, so what danger me being unvaccinated, what danger does that does that pose to 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 vaccinated people to the public? Do you want to kill grandma? I don't know. She's kind of gets kind of <laughs> bro. Do you want so, so you're so selfish that you're just gonna like kill the elderly by being becoming a super spreader? Some of them, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm not playing the game, man. I got to get my name. I got to get my numbers up at least to Cuomo's level. Oh, my gosh. You know, and that's part of the sick part of the whole thing is they've they've convinced people it's all for the greater good. I was I was privy to a conversation on the street the other day right here in the communist utopia of Seattle. And I was uh, in a in, in the suburbs, in the in the beautiful seaside town of Edmonds, where I actually used to live. And we're at an outdoor seafood market, and we were just grabbing some lunch. And this guy, I'm like, oh, just within earshot of this, these two dudes talking. And they're probably late 50s. And the one turns to the other, and he goes, huh, the vaccine, huh? Why'd you get it? I just wouldn't, I'm just, I, I, I'm just, I guess I'm just shocked. I'm surprised. <laughs> and the other guy turns to him, he's like, what? He goes, I mean, why'd you even get it? You know, I'm just, I guess, I guess it just surprises me. And the guy says, well, I, you know, it's for the greater good, man. And he goes, yeah, okay, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he, go, and he just kind of stood there and he said, but, you know, like, do you know how it works and all that? And the guy says, well, yeah, I think it's the wave of the future. <laughs> and the, the skeptical guy says, yeah, yeah, I think it's uh, one thing we've learned. It's definitely the wave of the future. And then dead silence for 30 seconds and they completely changed the subject. Huh. But it, it, it stuck with me that the guy's first response was for the greater good. And I've actually heard someone, you know, come up to me and say, hey, I got it, you know, and I wanted to let you know, Tim. It's kind of weird because I became like the guy who was like, hey, nobody get it. All right. If you guys want to talk about it, you can talk about it with me. I'll be the weirdo. But like nobody get it. Mm-hmm. So this guy, I got it, Tim, but I want to let you know I did it. For the good of humanity. 
And so it's weird that you brought up Richard Warmbrand and Jesus, friend of terrorists, at the beginning of this episode, because we can almost tie that back together. And it's almost like trying to talk to the vaccinated as instead of the terrorists and just say, listen, <laughs> I know that you thought you were doing something for the greater good. Instead of you think that blowing yourself up is for the greater good. You thought that blowing your immune system up was for the greater. I don't know. You yeah. know, it's, but it, it's not it wasn't. It doesn't help. And it, and, it, and it all it's done is really forced you to turn against me because I don't want to inject something in my body, which is on its face crazy. Yeah. So it, it, I guess we slowly stair step there because it was OK to like bash out the windows of a car that had a Trump sticker there for a while up here <laughs> in Seattle. But now we're all the way down to like you won't take this poison like we all did. We we bit the bullet. We we took one, you know, Bill Maher. He said it on uh, his show. I took one for the team. But then they asked me to get a booster. And I'm like, no, I'm not getting a booster. Yeah, I don't, and I, I don't take another one for the team. Yeah, I'm not taking another one for the team. So I want to talk to the vaccinated, you know, like kind of like he like Richard Warmbrandt talks past terror, the terrorists or talks past the Christian right or the, the victims yeah. Yeah, and goes right yeah. to the terrorists and says, hey. I understand. I understand that you're mad. I understand why. I understand why you did it. But, it, you know, we're not in a better place now that you did that. And it doesn't mean that I have to. Yeah, that's good. That's good. I, I, it's it's very curious to me. Part of the reason I asked the question earlier, like, how precisely does me not taking the vaccine pose a danger to pub the public? Uh, nobody I've, I've asked this of health professionals and nobody can give me a good answer. And so that at minimum means that if there is a good answer out there, it has not been adequately explained even to health professionals. And what I you know, what I think we would both probably agree to is actually what it means is that there isn't a good answer. Absolutely. No, there is. And so so. What's sort of scary is that nobody can it requires it requires some some kind of dumb guy from middle tennessee you know, <laughs> with too much time on his hands to kind of pose that question some retard yeah. in the northwest who still lives here even though everyone hates him yeah um i i, I came across this twitter string and I, I just wanted to read it to you just off the cuff this is from a, a lady named martha bueno uh but i i this is right in line with what we're talking about here <clears throat> I get why you're angry. You were told to stay home. You were told to do the right thing. You got the jab. You wore the mask. You missed the birthdays and holidays. You missed the hugs, the fresh air, the traveling, and hanging out with your friends. You didn't get to see uh, grandma that one last time. You didn't get to hold her hand. You didn't get to comfort her in her final moments. But it was for the best. You can't get sick. You can't risk giving someone the disease. You were the good one. You did everything right. And now you're sick. You still got it. Now you're the person you hated. You're the one who was selfish. You're the one who got others sick. Of course, you didn't know you were sick and you didn't do it on purpose. They lied to you. They made you waste two years of your life, two years that you'll never get back. And for what? You still got it. And no one said you wouldn't get it. OK, they did say that. They said if you get the jab, you can't infect others until that was proven false. Then they told you it makes symptoms lessen and you won't go to the hospital if you get it. That's a lie, too. But you won't die if you get it. And that's also a lie. 
Now the real question is, what is it going to take for you to realize that the people who lie for a living with no consequences for their lies aren't going to stop lying to you? They lied about the labs, the lab leak. They lied about not knowing where it came from. They lied about the severity. They lied about the vaccine. They lied about everything. But this time, this time, they'll tell the truth. I get why you're angry. Now, what are you going to do about it? Unfortunately, the answer to that question for many people is blame the unvaccinated. Yeah, yeah. Well, and that gets back to uh, that gets back to. So then what do you do? And the answer is, is uh, you try to love them in spite of that. Yeah. Well, there you go. They come at you and you say, hey, man. We have a we have a serious disagreement, but that doesn't mean I don't care about you deeply as a human being. Oof, that's the good stuff right there. That's the good stuff. Yeah, man, for sure. Mm-hmm. Did you hear about? I, I won't play the clip or anything, and a lot of people have been kind of talking about it. But Dave Chappelle on Netflix, have you heard about this whole thing? I guess like he did something that was not not. He, uh, said, he said that look, there's only two genders. And, oh. if, and if you're going to switch between them, you know, he was kind of anti, not anti-transgender, but he was very real. It was very truthful. You know, he made, he did, he did his usual stick. Those who can't understand Dave Chappelle baffle me. He gets on there and makes you come uncomfortable at least once or twice because he goes in on everybody. He makes fun of white people, black people, anyway. Yeah. yeah. But what, what, one of like the culmination moment. He had a close friend who was a transgender person and this close friend said, uh, you know, I don't understand you and I don't believe that you think you're a man or something like this is what was said to his close friend. And this this person, it was uh, it was a she it was a, a man who would become a woman turns and said, I don't care if you believe me. I just care that you acknowledge I'm having a human human experience. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah. And and that was kind of the the culmination of the piece. And mm-hmm. uh, he, he he held no punches and, and, and kind of kept it. But it's interesting to to get back to what you're saying, that you care for people as a human being. You mm-hmm. care for them, love them. And it's like if you're having the transmorphia situation where you're feeling like you're a man, if you're a woman and even if you go through with the surgery and stuff, but you're having a, a human experience and you need other people to love you. And that's one thing we've definitely learned, right? Is like, hey, guess what? Locking yourself in your house for 20 months and staring at your cell phone and the TV, streaming Netflix, getting Uber Eats, and then socializing with all your friends on Instagram is not a it's not a great way to stay in touch. No, no. It's it's really not. And um I'm I'm just I'm just persuaded that all of this is is coming back to kind of what we keep saying. It's like love, love your enemies, do good mm-hmm. to those who 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 abuse you. You know, Jesus's answer in the face of all the enemies and abuse was to be obedient to the Father. Mm. Yeah, yeah, and that's, and that's uh, you know, that's how you win, you know. There are there are lots of people that um, I run across and 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 maybe they don't smell that good, 
and and uh, I try to help them. And sometimes they're sometimes they're pretty difficult to help, man. And sometimes they get on my Wait. last nerve. So there's homeless people not in Seattle, is what you're telling me? Well, you do have you guys there on the West Coast do have you've kind of maximized your per capita, <laughs> but there are you know the poor you will have with you always, and we've got plenty of them here in Middle Tennessee as well. Um, <clears throat> and that's the thing, like society hasn't kind of grappled with the idea. Uh, so it's not. Uh, not a lot of people know this, but it's illegal to draft somebody into the military with an IQ of lower than 87. 80? Okay. Uh, 87, right? And because if the average, so the average has been moving uh, up over time, and so it might be higher now, but it, I think it was started at 82, it's now 87. Um, and and that's because you can't do anything uh, you can't do anything in the military that won't cause more havoc, right? Like, and that's really saying something because in the military, the lowest job is to either peel potatoes or, hey, I need you to take this machine gun and run up that hill. And uh, maybe you won't. Somebody is going to get there and not absorb bullets, hopefully. And so, sure. so like pretty, pretty simple jobs. Um, and that based on my basic math, uh, that's about 10 to 15% of the population. And that's 49.5 million people. I think it was, I'd have to, I didn't know I was going to be talking about this. Otherwise I would have actually spent five minutes to do the math and look up the, look up the precise, uh, things. But I came up with like 49 and a half million people, uh, in the United States and the number of people who live uh, who who live completely destitute in the United States is something like 50 million. And so, oh yeah, so now, there you go. I can see you looking it up. Uh, I can hear you looking it up. The clips, suddenly you're going very silent. Like, oh, I'm going to dunk on Tom Bionic. <laughs> Kaboom, sucker! No. Um, IQ with yeah. 100 is defined as average and aptitude, and one standard deviation is 15 points. A normal distribution for IQ measured until allowed. Yeah. All so perspective arm. They don't take the bottom 10%. So that would be what, like 81, if you're saying sure. that. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, here it is. The number of persons originally enlisted or inducted to serve on active duty in any armed force during any fiscal year whose score on the armed forces qualification test is at or above the 10th percentile below the 31st percentile may not exceed 20 percent of the total number of persons enlisted or inducted what in the world ah last thing translating from percentiles to iq the law implies that an iq below 81 which is the 10th percentile is disqualifying and dictates that a person with an IQ between 81 and 93, cannot compromise more than 20% of all the enlistees. That's wow. interesting. I didn't yeah. know that. Well, and so just just missed it. Yeah, got in my skin of my teeth. Ooh, <laughs> <laughs> thank goodness, thank goodness. When I got to uh, the boat, uh, they said, "All right, Tim, what we want you to do is put on this float coat, this giant green helmet. And we want you to go over there." And stand in a safe place outside the line. And then when we tell you to, you need to run up with this F-18. It's got going full blast and hooked to this hook. And I want you to check the hook to make sure it's secure. And then put your thumb in the air and run out. That sounds like a good idea. 
I actually miss those days, man. That is a that is a rush that I've never experienced before or since. But you know, I've got some I've got some friends uh, I've got some friends who worked at a very very high level in special forces. Oh, that's and, not me. And they said <laughs> I'm too dumb for that. And they said uh, both of them, all of them have said, dude, the biggest rush in the world for me was being on that helicopter with no lights on, flying somewhere we won't we weren't supposed to be. And dropping out of the airplane and and kicking a door open because you don't know what's on the other side of that door. You got a pretty good idea. They've been watched by a drone. They've been all that sort of stuff. And but you just never know. And it makes all the other problems, the fight you had with your wife, all the other stuff just sort of go away. And I went, (laughs) I bet it does. But you don't need to be smart necessarily to do that. Yeah. Well, and the other side is, is what do you do at night when the. What do you do at night when the doubts come? And they didn't have a good answer for that, which is probably why they work for me. <laughs> well, I don't. I, at night, I would basically go collapse into my rack and wonder, what did I do all day launching airplanes off of a flight deck? And where were they going? And what were they doing? And mm-hmm. some someday I should wake up from this nightmare and stop drinking and find Jesus. Oh, oh never mind. Good job. <laughs> I thought. Yeah, even the broken clock gets it right right twice a day. Yep. Well, there you so, go. I got a I got an article here. I'll read it. All right. <clears throat> national divorce is expensive, but it's worth every penny. The national divorce discussion prepares the ground for crucial thinking about what comes next in America as the country grows even more divided, bitter, and angry. For the last several years, I've been among the handful of commentators, along with my good friends Michael Malice, Jesse Kelly, and Michael Anton, uh, talking about the possibility or desirability of a national divorce, the political separation of red and blue America, or to get more specific and inflammatory, the breakup or disillusion of the United States. This week, my friend Carl Markowitz has written a typically thoughtful piece on the subject of the New York Post and concludes that as much as many people, excuse me, as much as many people long for some kind of separation that would solve the real problems of America's current disunion, it's not a solution that's currently feasible. As with any breakup or divorce, even if we had popular consensus for a national divorce in principle, there are all kinds of details and massive, very thorny ones, like who gets which territories, populations, and industries, or nuclear weapon caches. That could cause tumultuous and potentially violent negotiations. All these points of contention are very real and shouldn't have been dismissed out of hand. They're not going anywhere. The seriousness of these issues and their daunting solutions are meant to prove that a breakup of the United States will always be an impossibility. But that's not right. The national divorce or some other more tragic and chaotic outcome won't be impossible forever. Despite heaping dollops of patriotic propaganda, which admittedly is essential to maintenance of the citizen's faith in the regime, one day the United States will end. History teacher teaches us that the regimes, like all human creations, rise and fall, and a world bestriding empires fall harder, faster, and more surely than that. Admitting this is a possibility isn't as accurate as understanding it is a certainty. Yes, the timeline is hazing, but it's coming. As uh, as and as one approaches the crisis and contempt between Americans 
builds beyond what is currently imaginable. Those thorny points of contention heretofore enough to reduce the national divorce to a laugh line become real objects of debate and deliberate thought. There is a price, for example, at which the hard work of pulling oil from the ground in a place where it is so prohibitively expensive. Even discussing it seems foolish. However, when circumstances change, maybe global supply wanes and prices rise dramatically, areas believed to be too costly for drilling suddenly become feasible. It's interesting that those strongest objections to national divorce today seem to be based, admittedly legitimately, uh, uh, worry about those horrific split-up scenarios rather than make a principled Lincoln-esque argument about the insolubility of the union. Of course, appeals to the boomer patriotism still exists, but I'm not sure if that kind of thing gets many people going, uh, gets very many people going anywhere or going anymore. As that generation recedes from its long reign over the nation's political and cultural life to be replaced by a more combative cohort weaned on civilization exhaustion and a sense of impending collapse, we'll see even less. I think this is a lot about where we are, what time it is, and how nearly all of us who follow political and social life here in the United States have a kind of understanding that there's no way back from the state of our disunion. While there might be small valves like a presidential or congressional election to temporarily alleviate some of the pressure and sense of impending conflict, the issues on which we disagree are too profound and fundamental, excuse me, too profound and foundational to ever recede into the background. In closing of the American mind, Alan Bloom made a very elegant and convincing case that above other forces in human life, ideas matter most. I thought about Bloom a lot as I've spent the last several years writing, tweeting, and speaking about the big things tearing America apart. As I've argued, the differences between red and blue America are far deeper than any issues we interact with on the surface. They're essentially pre-political, at least in the sense of very temporal issues based hot on hot-button nonsense we consider to be politics today. The, the political philosophers, however, would say that the issues dividing us are absolutely political. In the original and most elemental sense we have in America today, what are essentially two competing radically different and mutually exclusive conceptions of good justice and the proper role of the state in its interactions over the citizens with the citizens over the last decade, especially we've seen how these conceptions expand with great intensity and speed into areas that were once relatively apocalyptical uh, and would have perplexed our grandparents like the reality of human biology or its malleability according to ideology via the trans issue. As time goes on, even more of reality itself will become a battleground. If we disagree on these big things, which necessarily manifest in every political issue, large and small, what strong force could possibly reunite us? Or to ask a question that's perhaps more pertinent, maybe not today or tomorrow, but soon, what force can keep us from coming apart? The most perceptive observers of America have known that this was always a perilous position for large multi-ethnic ideological constitutional state. As time goes on and the ideology on which the illegitimate or excuse me, on which the legitimacy of the state rests necessarily changes or becomes contentious between large segments of the population, what's left around the great majority of citizens uh, what's left around which the great majority of citizens can rally? Not, eth not ethnicity or religion. These are two strong identity conceptions that have been that have the power to unite people in smaller, less diverse states. 
not patriotism emerging from a reverence for the nation's history and heroic founding story either. The left has worked with great zeal to undermine all these things because it wants to unite Americans under nothing but its own ideology. The 1619 project is only the most successful high-profile effort to undermine the illegitimacy, or excuse me, the legitimacy. And even more importantly, the virtue and goodness of the American regime and its founding. It, along with other related cults like critical race theory, forms the political ethos that has been thoroughly that has thoroughly consumed blue America. As the late Angelo Codevilla wrote, these differences amount to nothing less than a cold civil war. And the primary role of the responsible statesman is to prevent it from going hot. Codevilla's answer was federalism. But the great man was wise enough to know that by itself, our conception of federalism was no longer a reasonable or viable answer. For more than a century, progressives have dedicated themselves to abolishing the legitimacy of federalism and then reconstituting the federal government and the courts to make its application in practice all but impossible. Over time, as their fanaticism grew, the left position hardened from the hardened from the mere undesirability of local differences in state sovereignty to the illegitimacy, injustice, and unfathomable evil of such an arrangement. In order to return to a time of relative public consensus on these things, one must impose its will on the other. While red America really isn't interested in imposing its will on blue America, it's clear that the reverse is empathetically not true. In a famous 1964 speech, Ronald Reagan said about the last century's Cold War, there's only – that's interesting. That must be a typo. <laughs> 19, in, a, in a famous 1964 speech, Ronald Reagan said about the last century's Cold War, there's only one guaranteed way to have peace, and you could have it in the next second, surrender. This might be the unstated solution pro, preferred by mainstream right – commentariat but is it the best we can do because it's just over the horizon of what can imagine of what we can imagine from our vantage point national excuse me national divorce isn't at all an immediate action plan or at least i don't see it as such rather it's a rhetorical strategy to prepare the ground for crucial discussions about what comes next in america as the country grows even more divided bitter and angry more than anything else, it is a reminder for red America to think about economic and cultural anatomy for itself. Excuse me, cultural autonomy for itself and what it would take to get there. Autonomy for red America is of crucial importance, regardless of the status of political or real separation. It is the ability for Americans to be self-sufficient from the financial, education, and cultural institutions that are hostile to its beliefs and way of life and make reconciliation increasingly impossible. Yeah. I don't know what to think about that. Um, what stands out to you, Tim, on that one? Um, the thing that stands out to me on that one is uh, – I just thought it would be interesting to talk about. Um, but the encroachment of the, the blue states on the red. The red would like to be left alone, and that's kind of the, the cry of the, the modern American true – blue how do i put this the modern american at least you know for lack of a better term conservative christian just leave leave me alone yeah <laughs> well, I just part, wanna... of it is, is part of it is is that 25 years ago you know christians entered into kind of a faustian bargain if you will over Absolutely. the idea 
of of abortion and and yeah. it was longer than that. It's more like forty years ago now. But uh, you know, we're gonna try and become this political entity, and we'll get you guys in with in with the Republicans as long as you know, because abortion is this big deal, and it it is a big deal. Uh, I don't want to belittle that, but um, the temptation to get political power for the Christians and especially the conservative Christian right or the South, the Midwest, the Bible Belt has been too tempting over time. And then you get a, a charlatan like Karl Rove in there to get everybody to, hey, let's just let's just use this the whole group of people as a voting block. Mm-hmm. George uh, George H. Bush won what was it? he only won one term. Correct. And in the in the midst of all of his all of his campaigning, you know, he was kind of told told by his handlers, "Hey, you, you, you kind of need to get religion, man. That's the only way you're going to pull this out." And he didn't really do a good job of that. <clears throat> and so there was then there was eight years of the Clintons, and suddenly W, yeah, suddenly W is saying things like, "You know, my faith sustains me," and perhaps that is perhaps that is not untrue but i think it's also fair to fair to say that you know you lacked somehow you got what your dad lacked and now you're president in terms of this uh in terms of this 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 sort of political makeup uh that would assuage the voters that you needed in your voter block and so that's kind of a head scratcher there and then and then we sort of go down this rabbit hole of emergency after emergency because the emergency the cold war emergency was over and we can't not have an emergency so let's have another emergency which was isn't it isn't it it weird how like you don't realize how good things are until a bunch of terrible things happen and you're like like right now everybody most people i know just want to go back to 2019 right like just just take yeah. me back to 2019 before all this stuff went bananas and people started hating each other and Black Lives Matter were in the streets and everything else. And I remember when I joined the Navy, you know, I slid in just over the 81 mark. I hit, hit him at 83. No, I'm just kidding. 83.5, baby. <laughs> <laughs> but I get I get I get stationed. This is oh, this is December 26th, 1999. Mm-hmm. I walk onto the base here, Naval Station Everett in Washington, and then uh, go and board my new my new uh, station, which is the USS Abraham Lincoln. And as I walk onto the to the base to go onto the boat, but when I walk onto the base, I literally walked on mm-hmm. to a military installation mm-hmm. from the street, got off the bus, and walked onto the Navy base because that's what you did. You get on to the Navy base. So then you get all the way through. You know, I basically could have gone anywhere on the Navy base I wanted to, but I get all the way down to where the boats are, where the docks are, where the pier is, and that's where the boats are, you know, all parked. Then there's a guard shack. I have to show my military ID, present, you know, my papers, where I'm going, and, and then they wave me through. The first year and a half, two years that I'm in, maybe a year and a half, that I'm in the military – you can just come on the base like you can call a girl or a friend and they can meet you at a restaurant on the base. Like that's a totally normal thing. And then it's not until after two, September 11, 2001, that the gate comes out from the pier and goes all the way to the front of the base. 
and it's guarded and there's barbed wire and there's dogs and there's people and there's those uh those like weird you know the jacks game those weird like big metal things that if you drive over to like cut your car in half or whatever all those all across the front and it's like that was the late 90s you know the cold war is over we got to have some sort of conflict but that was that time period right there yeah there was there was nothing man i could walk onto i joined the navy and I, i didn't join the navy because i was like you know i need to help this country and and be a fighter and we're gonna go attack somebody we're not attacking anybody at that time there was like no sniffing of even a possible war it was legitimately just like, well, I'm kind of uh, getting into some trouble here. Seem to be developing a drinking problem. Maybe I'll join the Navy. That seems like it might help. So. <laughs> That's always the thing to do if you have a drinking problem is to get in the yeah. Navy. Yeah. <laughs> Narrator, it did not help. <laughs> <laughs> but there was no conflict there, to your point. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There was no conflict for 10 or 12 years once the Soviet Union collapsed up until September 11th. Yeah. 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 I guess um, that's not and, quite true. There was there was like the desert storm and that was the first real patriotic push that they kind of tried to get to the uh, to the American Christians. Like the you know, remember the yellow bow, the yellow ribbon on the tree. And I'm proud to yeah. be an American. Yeah, I do remember that. Yep, we seem to be in a place where uh, certain factions of, of society uh, have tried hard to pull out, pull apart the thing that unites us, you know, Yes. things like, and, 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 and you don't, you don't even hear the things that our society is built on the good ideas. You don't even hear mentioned things like freedom of conscience. I was in a conversation yesterday at lunch with somebody and I, I kept coming back to, I said, look, freedom of conscience is that is, is one of the bedrock freedoms. If you don't have freedom of conscience, what do you have? And they had never even heard that phrase. They didn't know what it was talking about. I don't know that I've heard and it. What's freedom of conscience? Hit me. It's the freedom. It's the freedom to object to something you find uh, morally objectionable and abhorrent. Uh, a really great example would be uh, um, the main character's objections to World War II uh, in Hacksaw Ridge. Okay. Um, you know. The- Nazis are on the march. Japan is blowing stuff up. And the main character whose name escapes me said, you know, some some to the effect of like, I don't believe in fighting this war. And uh, he had to go through some pretty hard stuff, but he was allowed by the society to be a conscientious objector. Oh, that's right. Yeah. 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 And, And now that that sort of idea is is very foreign. I mean, uh, the fact that we're talking, even talking about uh, vaccine mandates uh, over and against that idea, it just tells us how far we've deformed society from from the basic freedom of conscientious objection, uh, freedom and freedom of conscience. You know, other things like freedom of speech, those are those have been seriously impugned by uh, certainly like CNN. One of my stories you know, we just we were just dunking on Sanjay Gupta, you know, um, and, and, you know, and he probably needs to be called out for some of that. Um, but an, another article I had in my in my stack here uh, was, uh, well, two of them. One, one was uh, a guy got blacklisted for quoting a science article 
that said men are stronger than women. <laughs> uh, but the other one, a guy that I have a lot of respect for, probably not a lot of people know about, is a guy named Craig Murray. Uh, he was an ex, uh, he was the ex ambassador, British ambassador to Uzbekistan, who quit uh, because he saw that the Uzbek police were getting paid by by mostly the CIA, but also the British. They said, hey, we really need tips on like terrorists and stuff. And so the Uzbek police were just going about and just arresting people and torturing them and taking whatever confession they made and giving it to the CIA saying, oh, yeah, it's horrible here. And he saw that this was going on and he said, like, no, this isn't this can't fly. I'm not OK with this. And so uh, so they so he brought it to his boss and his boss's boss and the next boss. And finally, kind of the head the head guy of of, an, of British ambassadorships said, OK, we're, we're done here. You our relationship is too important to us Uzbekistan to sort of raise these little human petty rights, human rights things. So your job is to forget this all happened and go back to doing your job. And so he he resigned and has since been uh, a freedom fighter. As a backstory to all of that, I'm, I'm hopefully hopefully your audience can follow my extreme digressions here. He was sentenced to an 80 day jail term in uh, in Great Britain because as he was he was called what was called jigsaw revealing the the identity of um, uh, uh, people who had people who had accused somebody of sexual assault. Well, the guy was was acquitted of all charges. Right. So as near as we can figure from a from a from a from a standpoint of. Uh, from a standpoint of actual legal stuff, I don't know how the British court system works, but it would seem to me the obvious thing is if you were a jigsaw engaged in jigsaw identification, but nobody's been convicted of anything, what on earth exactly are you doing? You revealing the you reveal no the court said that no sexual assault occurred. So what exactly is going on here? And then the answer is the answer kind of comes down at the bottom. He was he was working very closely with Julian Assange during the uh, WikiLeaks thing uh, with the DNC. And so um, uh, he was convicted. He was he's the first guy to be convicted in 70 years of this particular type of contempt of court and um, was uh, served 80 days in jail for it. Wow. Um, it's 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 really like it's really amazing, you know. And so bringing that back to this idea of 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 freedom of conscience, freedom of expression, you know, uh, virtually the same as freedom of speech, you know, uh, freedom of unjust prosecution. You know, we're in a position where people like, like no longer kind of believe those things and they don't they don't really know those things. And yeah. so. Those are the things that kind of those ideas so important are the things that kind of undergird society and we've stopped teaching. You know, I admit it's not like I, you know, they were kind of I have to admit they were kind of new to me up until recently. And uh, I had heard about them in different different ways and kind of looked into it. I was like, oh, yeah, well, freedom of speech, like, is the bedrock that Western society is built on. And, you know, from that, 
from that uh, from the outgrowth of freedom of consciousness, freedom of conscience, uh, freedom to be a conscientious objector is kind of what grows uh, from that is what grows freedom of speech, you know, uh, in a larger sense, like freedom to be offensive. Right. Like just how many people are we allowed to do, allowed to offend if we're in a conversation, you know, and I say something that is offensive, like, is it two people? Is it two and ten? Is it two and twenty? Is it two and five thousand? How we've many lost, people exactly? We, you know? We've lost we've lost that completely, though. I mean, it's the whole yeah. that's hate speech. You can say whatever you want. You just can't say hate speech. Well, what the heck is hate speech? Yeah. I mean, free, freedom of speech means you should be able to say, you know, like the most abhorrent thing, like everybody should die that doesn't have red hair. <laughs> oh, I'm in. Oh, right, if I have I don't hair, necessarily I... disagree, but OK. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, you should be able to say stuff like that. That's just a, it's yep. a bad example. But you you sh- the freedom of speech is not. It's not mob rule. Right. Like it's the opposite of mob rule. It's the opposite of it, it's it's to say the the controversial things, you know, it's to say the things that that change things. I, and that's been my real frustration with the American public as a whole. And then especially the Christians in this country It's over this last little bit. It's like, what are we doing here, guys? This is not sustainable. This is a. Uh, this is a bad direction to go. We can't be saying that people can't say, you know, like you can't draw a cartoon of Muhammad. What in the world? You can't possibly say that it's it's bad for for people to transition below the age of eight. I mean, yeah, no, you can. You can't be, you know, against abortion or you're you can't be against trans or you're a transphobe. You you can't be against the government or you're a terrorist. You can't be against China or you're a xenophobe or yeah. you know, a Trump supporter. Well, one thing I've noticed in all of this is that having having decided to stick my toe into problematic areas in public, in my immediate circle, is that one is usually the water isn't as hot as you think it is. That's true. Yeah. And and so like if the people around you know you and you have you have abided by the biblical biblical guides to like have a good character you can say some really off the wall stuff and they will they'll they'll listen you know and if you go to it if you go at it just like you know like hey this is this may be a unique position and it doesn't mean i don't care about these people but i do have some real problems with xyz and here's what i think you know um People will pick up on that and they may initially get angry and stuff. But if you don't react to it and just continue with this, you'll find the water. My my experience, the water isn't nearly as hot as you think it is. Now, that may be different in in organizations that have very uh, professional organizations that have very tightly defined speech codes. You know, um, a friend of mine, a friend of mine worked at a very big organization sales and somebody wanted to get on the sales team, and he knew he was a Christian and said, hey, do you mind if I pray over the meal? And my friend who is a Christian said, oh, please. So they prayed over – this other guy prayed over the meal. They got done. They went on. This was part of a larger interview, and they got done. They didn't give him a job, and so then they, 
Then he got in hot water with HR saying that they had tried to force religious views on him. And so fortunately, he had made desk notes of all of this and, and it came to nothing. And so wow. I'm sort of undercutting my own point here. But generally, I have found one, like people like the water usually isn't as hot as you think it is, you know, yeah. just sort of, you know, you may want to be a little careful, right? But it's not like if you just say like, gosh, I really feel differently. And then say, well, you know, Mike or Tim, like, tell me what you think. And you you say what you think. Most of the time, other people are probably thinking similar thoughts. Right. They're just, they're, they're just, you know, they're scared. Uh, and, and if you, if you couch it that way, you know, oftentimes, like I said, the water isn't as hot. The other thing I've noticed is that the news cycle is so short, uh, people usually forget like what the heck they're talking about after 72 hours. So if you have a weird conversation with somebody and then, uh, and then you just sort of leave it 72 hours later, they're, they're mad at the people that aren't on their team. Yeah. You know, if yeah. they're, yeah. if they're Republican, that's the dang people in blue. And if it's the Democrats, it's those dang people in red, you know, let's go smash a Trump supporters car with my gigantic Volvo or something. I don't know. And maybe it may be a Volvo. It might be. You might know, be. I think one thing that kind of struck me as you started talking about this is, it was the education system. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we let we let the education system go way mm-hmm. too far. Yeah, and now we got I got a, I got a buddy texting me pictures of his uh, nine year old's you know school book and it's asking about you know it's at, literally this year a book. Uh, mm-hmm. How do, how do you feel? Uh, what did you know about Black Lives Matter before you read this book? Well, how do you feel about the movement now? What can you do to help? Mm-hmm. And right there in the school. And I think so it was over 10 years ago, 20 years ago, that this all slowly started. Like, so my age class, and I think you might we're roughly the same age. I was born in 1980. Mm-hmm. So I, I feel like we were some of the last people to be taught. Like, I remember specifically in, in seventh grade, Mrs. Austin was her name. Was Yeah. But I was in a civics class. Yeah, like you I had learned, like you learned about government, like how it works. Yeah, I had one as a senior in high school that was real yeah. good. Yeah, but I don't think they teach civics anymore, right? They don't, don't teach they- civics anymore. They don't teach like basic personal finance anymore. There's no more wood shop. There's no home economics, you know, and I was actually in school at the very tail end of all those programs. I remember I took wood shop. I took home economics. I took everything. And, mm-hmm. I, you know, I, and I did like a personal finance class. They taught you how to balance a checkbook. Yeah. Th- those things are not taught anymore. I mean, you can graduate all the way through high school and just be able to regurgitate some crap about Thomas Paine and his pamphlet. And then that's it. The country came and then boom, slavery and boom, we're always racist. And then some stuff in the middle, Black Lives Matter. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. It, 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 we've lost our own history and it, and, and it's put Andrew and I, especially in this podcast in such an awkward position, because when this podcast first started, we were like, Hey, 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 this is not a Christian nation. It wasn't formed on Christianity. A lot of these guys were probably pagan or, yeah. you know, believed in other things. 
but you know, and so it's like, you know, and, and, and the police aren't all good. Like we need to chill out with the whole, let's, let's the police are all good thing. And we were doing that message for, you know, five, six, seven, eight years. And then these last two years happen. It's like, okay, wait, 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 whoa, 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 whoa. America's not all bad all the time. (laughs) There was some good things that happened in the founding and all cops are not bad either. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Well, so it it bears, it bears repeating that the number of people that were, uh, the number of people that were pulled out of abject poverty today is something like 180,000 people. It bears it bears repeating that the number of people that were collect connected to the power grid for the first time ever is something like 140,000 people. It bears repeating that the people who have clean water for the first time in their lives is something like 200,000 people. And that's been going on every day for the last 20 years, hmm. largely because of largely because of the fall of the of 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 my opinion, large because of the fall of communism and the UN saying like, Hey, we're going to use capitalist mechanisms to try and bring these basic subsistence things to the most impoverished. Like that should be, that should probably be a headline in the New York times, like every single day. Right. That should put that right at the top. And so, uh, the subtext, we were talking about freedom of conscience and freedom of expression and, freedom of speech earlier, you know, the subtext of all of that is the Imago Day. Now, uh, it is true, uh, as near as I can tell, that many of the founding fathers were deists, you know, right. some were outright pagans, Thomas Paine, Benjamin Franklin, perhaps, uh, but they were mostly, they would mostly be classified today as deists. Uh, however, they were heavenly, they were heavily influenced uh, besides, you know, besides John Locke and Thomas Hobbes, they were heavily influenced by the idea of um, Genesis one that God was made, man was made in God's image. And so, from that, if you if you take that and extrapolate that out to every human being, then suddenly you realize that, hey, maybe this person sitting across from me, whether he knows it or not, has a spark of divinity in him, and therefore maybe I shouldn't just kill him. Everybody has value and we all have God given rights. Mm-hmm. And it what it it was a group a group of people who founded this country who left England and were like, you know, we don't want to worship the way you want us to worship. We're not gonna go along with the religion you want us to have. And then went to face like not certain death, but like a good chance of death mm-hmm. to hop on a, a boat and go across the country and go to a land that they had never been to before. Because there was freedom and opportunity. And that what is this country founded on? That's the genetics of the people who came here is the people who said, hey, I want to go see if I can find this place where there's a little bit more religious freedom. Mm-hmm. And then the, and then the, the British came and said, well, we want to tax some of your tea. And then they lost it and started killing people. So yeah. <laughs> which was which was uh, a far cry from where we are today, where we have such an encroachment upon us. I mean, it. They taxed a little bit of tea, and that was it. We we at this point have people saying, "Okay, you, you, and you, you can go to work. You're essential. You, you, and you are not essential." And this whole town over here, you guys lock down. Yeah. Nobody nobody leaves their house. Yes, it's very it's very bizarre. I know. I, it's it's very bizarre. But and it's a whole a whole country of people who just 
wanted freedom. And it wasn't to worship God, to to read the Bible. It was just to be able to do all of those things. If you want to be a deist, you can be a deist. If you want to worship Jesus, you can worship Jesus. If you want to be a Mohammedan, you can worship Muhammad. Whatever it is that you're doing, like mm-hmm. that's fine. And what it did was it it created a, an atmosphere in this country. And Chris White talked about this in a more recent podcast he did, which is this is probably the only time in human history or at least one of the longest running times in human history where Christianity was allowed to just kind of do its deal, just kind of do its thing. And and it was left alone. And what we ended up with was a country that continued to thrive and have freedom and have, you know, caring for the individual and caring about rights. And, you know, through all those things, through the capitalistic system and the kind of, uh, innovative things that come along with freedom, it became a, you know, a a worldwide powerhouse. And now we're coming to an end, you know, unfortunately is what it looks like. And I think there's a case to be, there's a case. Yeah. There's a case to be made that I believe it, but certainly like we're, we're definitely being pushed in that direction. Well, you are – I'm looking at this stupid map still from this article we just read, and you are in an almost all-red state. There is look, looks like one, two, three blue counties. Mm-hmm. I am in an almost all-red state except for seven blue counties that have all of the population in it. From mm-hmm. here, it feels like we're on the way down. Maybe that's just the feeling here in Seattle or here in the northwest, but – I think you could make a case that the downfall starts when they start to remove not just God, but personal freedoms. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, that's a very important inflection point, um, uh, no doubt. Uh, however, I have I have hope. Good. Uh, Share uh, some of that hope with us. Dern Spurgno Pugno, I believe, is the Latin and it's it, uh, like, I'm horrible with it. I need, I need my older son here who speaks very good Latin at 15. Um, uh, but I believe it means with my last breath, I will hurt. I will hope. No, it's dumb spirit. Dumb, dumb spirit sparrow. Well, there you go. You've already said it better than I have. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's uh yeah. As long as I'm alive, I have hope. Yep. And, 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 and that's it, man. Um, I look back, I'll give more concretized ideas of hope. Pop quiz. What one book was more responsible for the destruction of the Soviet Union than any other? I don't know. A book Tolstoy wrote. No, he was kind of before the Soviet Union. Um, uh, but uh, you know he was Russian, so you were in the same ballpark. Ooh, oh, 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 uh, Gulag Archipelago. Exactly. And yes. in the middle, and in the middle of that book, um, uh, Alexander Solzhenitsyn writes. He says he's lying in his bed, and he says it. It occurs to him he's he's listening, and he hears a guy just getting waylaid down the hallway, just getting beaten up with uh, rubber truncheons, I think. And he says it occurs to him that the line between good and evil runs down the human heart. And at different points in the book, he points out that there were people 
who were who would come to these gulags and they'd say, like, look, the guards who were called trustees. And so what they would do is they would take these guys who were more vicious. They weren't actually employees. They were more vicious, uh, more vicious in internees and then give them certain rights as long as they enforced the system on the other the rest of the people. And he said that these people would the these the occasionally people would come in and it was usually Christians, although no not not exclusively so, but it was usually Christians that would come in and they would say, this trustee would say, look, here's a confession for all the crimes and sins that you've done against our great motherland here, and you need to sign this. And they said, I'm not going to sign that crap. It's not true. And sometimes, perhaps even often, they played with their lives. So don't get me wrong. It was a serious thing to say to say that. Uh, but if they did and they stayed in the camp and they stuck to their guns of truth like nobody could touch them and the trustees were scared of them yeah and blowing that up blowing that up like alexander solzhenitsyn took that and he said there's something about that and so rather than say like hey like i have hitler i have hitler and stalin to blame for this he said, like, what did I do? And he came up with the idea that I'm just not going to lie anymore. I'm not going to lie about stuff anymore. And so kind of from at least partially from that idea, like he wrote 2,500 pages and called it the Gulag Archipelago. That book is like 10 hours. Like you can't read it, man. It's like it's the, so depressing. Um, but you should read it. I have the audio book. It's, yeah, it's 10, 10 hours and 38 minutes. I think I'm 38 minutes in. <laughs> it's so, it's un, unbelievably depressing. Like, yeah. just, it's like, I, I almost can't believe it. But this guy wrote it. It got published by some miracle and completely took down the Soviet Union, sped the collapse, because part of the thing that was, 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 holding it up was the intelligentsia's kind of fascination with uh, the Soviet experience. And they read that and, you know, 50 million people died. Somebody wrote about it and his name was Alexander Solzhenitsyn. And it was so abhorrent. It was so, it was like somebody screaming, I won't take this at the top of their lungs. It sped to the collapse of the Soviet Union because it, made the made the outside support of the Soviet experiment collapse. And so when when we're you know nobody's come to my house and arrested me or any of my family. And so unfortunately unfortunately like it can it can and will probably get worse. But um the as the Bible says, the the fervent fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. I, and I've butchered that. Um, oh, that's pretty right. But 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 there's there's something about standing up and telling the truth. There's something about going to the people in your immediate circle and saying, "Hey, man, like, so tell me exactly. Like, don't just say it's for the greater good. Tell me exactly." 
exactly in great detail why I need to be vaccinated. Like <laughs> what precisely do I what precise danger do I pose to the rest of to the rest of humanity? And have that, you know, and say and do it lovingly, right? We're not used to doing that. We're used to thinking we're so the we're so desperately tribalized. We're not used to doing that. But come go to them and say, like, look, man, I deeply respect you as a person and I want to have this conversation. So tell me what precise thing. What what's what's the problem here? You know, and it could be over a range of issues like why is it that you hate me as a person? Why, what is it precisely that is is difficult about our our area here and have the hard conversation in love and see what happens. And I think, I think that a lot of people will be surprised, you know, I don't know where I was going with all that, but it sounds good. (laughs) It absolutely does sound good. And it motivates us, motivates us to encounter people in our day-to-day lives face to face Mm-hmm. And on their level and not just avoidance. And mm-hmm. yeah. I play the game, you know, I play all these social games. I make sure that I don't say anything if I'm not supposed to or it might offend somebody and kind of tread lightly like, oh, this might be COVID related. So, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I don't know if I want to talk to these people about this. So but, uh, you know, maybe just standing up and just saying the truth loudly more often is is going to be maybe brings people together but doing it in love i think that yeah. that's the hard part i think i'm better i'm i'm pretty good at standing up and saying this is i think this is the truth and just letting people hate me like i'm cool with that <laughs> but i think the hard part for me is uh doing it in love and with an open heart that invites further conversation yeah well and the, the other thing to know is that like uh and the other thing to know is that like you don't get good at something unless you start doing it. I did some calcu- I did some calculations, right? And so I've been doing Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. I think I've told you that for I don't know six months now. And I am I am like, once you start doing it, so the first thing that happens is you go into the Jiu-Jitsu studio and you realize very quickly that the hundred and I'm 220 and I used to be a powerlifter, so I'm relatively strong still. Like you go into the gym in the 120 pound brown belt with like the Justin Bieber kind of comb over thing is going to obliterate you. (laughs) And and, like you can't even like, like, what just happened here? I should be able to grab this guy by his ankles and like Hulk smash him, you know, like over and over and over and just toss him aside, you know. And it's like, no, actually, that doesn't happen, man. Like you go and you you for those who aren't familiar with jiu-jitsu, uh, Brazilian jiu-jitsu, like it's ground based. It's ground based fighting. You know, punches and kicks are not allowed. But, you know, putting arms in stress positions, choking somebody unconscious is 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 allowed. You know, the idea is, is you you tap you, you tap uh, you tap your partner when you had enough or you're in a position where your arm is going to get broken. And, you know, you come at this person, you're like, I'm going to crush this guy because I weigh 100 pounds more than he is and I'm stronger. 
and somehow he winds up with his hand in your collar and throws you over his back and pins you down to the ground and twists your arm in a way that it's not supposed to go. And you just go like, how did this happen? <laughs> what, what the heck happened? What happened here? And so you're like, this, surely this can't happen again. And so then you do it again and like, and then it happens again in a completely different fashion. But the end result is you like twisted in a pretzel laying on the laying on the ground huffing and puffing while this guy isn't even barely breathing hard and so uh i think that any skill especially the skill of like speaking the truth and love to your neighbor is something that you just practice start small speak the truth and love to your spouse hey honey i know that we disagree with this thing and but you know that i love you i just want to get your perspective on this Hey, what happens here? What's up with that? And go from there. And then pretty soon, if 10,000 of us do this, pretty soon we're standing uh, we're standing in front of a salt uh, in, so, in front of a salt uh, manufacturer in India saying, we have already won and uh, taking the British Empire down. Oh, that's Gandhi for those who like don't know. I was going to say that's probably after I started talking, I was like, boy, that is a really oblique reference. Maybe I better <laughs> qualify that, you know, suddenly, yeah, suddenly you had two feet and you were walking. It's like, yeah. well, give it a little more context, Mike. Um, but it is something like practice, practice speaking the truth and love. Amen. Amen. Practice speaking the truth and love. I love it. Mm-hmm. It's uh Maybe even some some good words to end on, unless anything else that you wanted to get to this evening before we uh, get out of here. No, I think that that's probably a good place, man. I agree. I agree. Well, I appreciate you coming on the podcast, especially with such short notice. And uh, it's always a pleasure to speak to you. It's kind of cool, you know, over the last few weeks and months, we've had a chance to talk a couple of times on the phone. Mm-hmm. But yeah, uh, never really able to chew on some some of the bigger picture stuff like this. So I'm glad we did this, even if. Uh, I, I think the listeners are definitely going to get something out of it, but even if they don't, I, I feel like I got something out of it. So thank you for coming on. And uh, yeah, well, maybe we can make this a more regular thing. We could just do a, a, the, the, the reiteration of the Tim and Mike show. Along. There you go. <laughs> just a go. totally different Mike. Yeah, there you go, man. Well, the pleasure was mine, my friend. Uh, I enjoyed it. There's nothing like, nothing I enjoy more than, uh, Saying funny stuff and then dunking on Sanjay Gupta. <laughs> just, we don't even have to dunk on Sanjay Gupta. We literally just play the clip of someone else dunking on him and laugh. Yeah, no, it's, he's like, I didn't really get dunked on. I was doing research. <laughs> it's like, boom, LeBron James dunk. Whoa, I think I broke the backboard. Holy. <laughs> Well, hey, I want to extend something out to you too. We could always have a guest writer on the show. So if you ever want, if you ever write up some piece that you want, we're actually putting something that our listener wrote up on the website here, uh, pretty, pretty quick. If you ever write anything or come up with an essay you want to put out there, send it over, yeah. and we may read it on air or may put it on our on our website. So, well, well, it's interesting. I have uh, at at Mrs. Bionic's kind of constant urging, mm-hmm. uh, I've been kicking around the idea of doing a podcast, and I would. 
uh, I would entreat both you and you and Aunt Andrew, Mr. Hoffman, to pray about it. But it would be something to just just to kind of encourage those people in the in the vein that perhaps some of the things that I said tonight might be a little encouraging. Like, you know, like, look, things are things may be hard. You may be isolated. Maybe you are somebody at your church that you're on the fringes and you understand this stuff, but you're not verbally as quick as you'd like. And everybody's saying like, well, hey, you need to get vaccinated or God forbid you're in Australia and the Australian government has told your minister like, look, this guy can't come to church because he's not vaccinated and he's really struggling with it and you're struggling with it. But you you for whatever reason, perhaps it's not your fault, like you can't get vaccinated or you don't want to get vaccinated. And, you know, they're saying, well, you can't be part of the body of Christ when it comes to worship and Mm -hmm. You know, maybe folks like that need a little encouragement. And so I've been kind of kicking that idea around. That's a worthy idea to kick around, my friend. If you need any help with that uh, or just someone, some other clown to get on and, and speak with when you're talking like that, I'm more than happy to help. But uh, I appreciate that. We'll for now, we'll, yeah, for now, we'll just leave it there. Thanks again for coming on. I will link the show in the show notes. Future Quake was a wonderful podcast, 300 episodes of uh, all kinds of crazy stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dr. Future and Tom Bionic were uh, kind of formin- formidable in uh, my kind of coming into all this stuff. So I encourage everybody to check it out. And mm-hmm. uh, without further ado, I guess we'll talk to you guys next week. A copy of this podcast, as well as links to each story covered, are available at revelationsradionews.com. To contact Andrew and Tim or to support Revelations Radio News, please visit revelationsradionews.com and click on the Contact tab or Support tab. Please check out the other podcasts at revelationsradionetwork.com and thank you for your support of this podcast. Don't you say-